Welcome, everyone. You're listening to Truth in Christ Radio, a Bible teaching radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Rochester with Senior Pastor Rob Kellogg. The king of Babylon, Hammurabi, put this code on this thing. It looked like a finger. And uh, about 1754 B.C., so we're looking at like the 18th century, he erected this thing and put all the codes on it. And one of the things that would happen in that is that if a slave escaped from his owner, the owner would also, anyone harboring a runaway slave was to be killed. And you think about the difference between that culture and that God that they served in Babylon, and you think about the God of Israel. You know, if a slave who is being wrongly treated um, flees to your city, you know, they're, they're to not oppress him, but to take care of him. I know I am loved by the king, and it makes my heart want to sing. Hi everyone, and welcome to Truth in Christ for today. Pastor Rob concludes our study in chapter 23 of the book of Deuteronomy today as he continues to expand on God's various laws pertaining to everyday encounters and circumstances of the children of Israel. The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob continually shows his people that he is interested in every aspect of their lives and wants to be an active part of those lives. The same holds true for us today. From the beginning of time, the Lord has and is attentive to every area of our lives. Let's join Pastor Rob with the conclusion of chapter 23. In that is, one is a Moabitess, Ruth, and another one is a harlot, Rahab, a Gentile, you know, and then, and then Moab, or, you know, this um, Ruth from, Mo, uh, from Moab, and they're both in the line of Jesus. Isn't that crazy? But that's, that's the way the Lord is. He's, he's very gracious and very loving. In verse 7 it says, You shall not abhor an Edomite, for he is your brother. You shall not abhor an, e- an Egyptian, because you were an alien in his land. You, you know that Edom is Esau. That's Jacob's brother. So they really were related. And there are um, instances in the Bible where, uh, you know, the Edomites weren't very kind to the children of Israel either. And it says, The children of the third generation born to them, of, of the Edomites and the Egyptians, the third born to them, the third generation born to them, may enter the assembly. And so there's a stipulation there. I think that's interesting. Let's look at verse 9 and read down through verse 14, and then we'll get into the second section here. It says, When the army goes out against your enemies, then you keep yourself from every wicked thing. If there is any man among you who becomes unclean by some occurrence in the night, then you shall go outside the camp, and he shall not come inside the camp. But it shall be, when evening comes, that he shall wash with water, and when the sun sets, he may come into the camp. Also you shall have a place outside the camp where you may go out and you shall have an implement among your equipment, i.e. a small shovel, and when you sit down outside and cover your refuse. 
For the Lord your God walks in the midst of your camp to deliver you and give your enemies over to you. Therefore, your camp shall be holy, shall be separate, that he may see no unclean thing among you and turn away from you. You know, I think that kind of speaks for itself. You know, it's interesting. There have been a lot of cases in history in times of war where armies wouldn't do this very thing. They would go out and they'd use the restroom because they're out there in the middle of the field or wherever they're at, and they wouldn't cover it up. They would just go and they wouldn't cover it up. And God's saying, you know, be decent, will you? Just uh, take a shovel and cover it up. And, and, and there's a reason for that. It's not only clean, cleaner, but it's also because of disease, because that stuff left un, unchecked over a period of time brings about so many different kinds of diseases. And sometimes the enemy uh, gets wiped out by their own disease that they brought on themselves. They get sick and they start having all kinds of problems. So God is telling them in advance, this is what you need to do. And it makes sense, doesn't it? It's only decent. So, you know, that's one thing I love about the Lord. He's, he, he cares about every facet of life. You know, for the Jew and for the Gentile, every clean, ethical, good thing, God thinks it through. And that's the way he is. And now there are other gods that we know of in the, in the, in the world. You think of Allah. Is he that clean? No, he's not. He's filthy. He's capricious. Allah is nothing like this. Any other God is nothing like this. Only God, the true living God, the one who made us, he can tell us the right things. And doesn't it just ring true to your heart that you do those kind of things? I mean, if we went out camping, Scott, and, uh, you know, we all, all the kids and all of us just decided, you know, we're not going to go up to the, you know, the, what are they called, the bathrooms? The nice, those nicely built things that they have out there. We're just going to go right in the camp, you know. It wouldn't be long, and that place would be a mess, and it would be ugly. And if we were there for any length of time, there'd be problems, sicknesses. So it only makes sense. Let's look at verse 15 down through 25. Let's just read it first. He says, You shall not give back to his master the slave who has escaped from his master to you. He shall dwell with you in your midst in the place which he chooses within one of your gates. Where it seems best to him, you shall not oppress him. And there shall be no ritual harlot or the, of the daughters of Israel or a perverted one of the sons of Israel. You shall not bring the wages of a harlot or the price of a dog to the house of the Lord your God for any vowed offering. For both of these things are abomination to the Lord your God. You shall not charge interest to your brother, interest on money or food or anything that is lent at an interest. To any foreigner you may charge interest, but to your brother you shall not charge interest, that the Lord your God may bless you in all to which you set your hand in the land which you are entering to possess." And then you shall make a vow to the Lord, or when you make a vow to the Lord, you shall not delay to pay it. For the Lord your God will surely require it of you, and it will be sin to you. But if you abstain from vowing, it shall not be sin to you. That which has gone from your lips you shall keep and perform, for you voluntarily vowed to the Lord your God that you have promised with your mouth. And when you come into your neighbor's vineyard, you may eat your fill of grapes at your pleasure, but you shall not put, any, put in any in your container... And when you come into your neighbor's standing grain, you may pluck the heads with your hand, but shall not use a sickle on your neighbor's standing grain. Okay, so these miscellaneous laws, you know, uh, again, you know, if a, if a servant comes to you, there may be a good reason. And you just look at the, the grace of God in this, you know, um, 
In, in Deuteronomy chapter 15, we looked at this about God's concern for Hebrew bondservants and how kindly they were treated. And even says in Deuteronomy 24, he says, You shall not oppress a hired servant who is poor and needy, whether one of your brethren or one of the aliens who is in your land within your gates. Each day you shall give him his wages and not let the sun go down on it, for he is poor and has set his heart on it, lest he cry out against you to the Lord and it be sin to you. God just, again, just loving people and loving servants, whether you're a slave or whether you're a bond servant, it doesn't really matter. And what a difference there is with the pagan cultures around Israel at this time. Even the Code of Hammurabi, I don't know if you've ever heard of this, but it's a, it's a seven and a half foot um, basal uh, stell. And, and basically, it's a, uh, a, a code of ethics that the king of Babylon, Hammurabi, put this code on this thing. It looked like a finger. And uh, about 1754 B.C., so we're looking at like the 18th century, he erected this thing and put all the codes on it. And one of the things that would happen in that is that if a slave escaped from his owner, the owner would also, anyone harboring a runaway slave was to be killed. And you think about the difference between that culture and that God that they served in Babylon, and you think about the God of Israel. You know, if a slave who is being wrongly treated um, flees to your city, you know, they're, they're to not oppress him, but to take care of him. Because you don't know all the details, and time will tell what happened. But in other cultures, it wasn't that way. And again, I just love boasting about God's goodness because he's good. He's always been good. He continues to be good. And he says, There shall be no ritual harlot of the daughters of Israel or a perverted one of the sons of Israel. A female religious prostitute is really what this is referring to. Um, a woman is called a Kadeshah, and a male prostitute is called a, a Kadesh. A Kadeshah, I'm probably mispronouncing that, is a woman who is a, a female religious prostitute, and a male prostitute is called a Kadesh. And uh, these were people who would uh, use uh, sexual, do sexual things to, as part of their worship of their false gods. And we see this certainly in the, uh, the rubbing off of the culture coming into the children of Judah. You know, as they began to possess the land, we know that, you know, uh, first there was Saul, and then there was David, and then Solomon, and then the, the kingdom broke up, right? But as they were in the land, because they didn't drive out the inhabitants, because they didn't do the things that God had told them to do by obedience, now all these things are, these other cultures are influencing them. And uh, just a couple of examples. Uh, you can just write these scriptures down because we certainly don't have time to, to look at them. But it happened in Rehoboam's uh, uh, reign. There were perverted persons, and that's what this word means, this Kadesh. The, these were male prostitutes, and there were perverted persons in the land, and they did according to all the abominations of the nations which the Lord had cast out before the children of Israel. We see in the reign of Asa that he banished the perverted persons from the land. You know, he was one of those reformer kings like Josiah who cleaned up the things their forefathers had made a mess of. And the same thing when we get later on into Josiah. He, you know, he really restores the true worship of God to the people. And the same thing there. You know, he tore down the ritual booths of the perverted persons that were in the house of the Lord where the woman 
wove hangings for the wooden image of Asherah, which is a, a Canaanite goddess that they would worship. So Israel had been so infiltrated by all of this idolatry from the people around them. No longer were they separate and pure like God had desired them to be, but now they were, they were filthy and they became dirty. And it says, you should not bring the wages of a harlot or the price of a dog to the house of the Lord. You know, God doesn't care. He, he, he cares very much about where the money's coming from that's coming in. You know, it's like if somebody came in here and says, you know, I just won this, you know, this million dollars at the dog track, and, you know, I, or I won three million, and I want to give one million to Calvary Chapel, you know, because I won it gambling. You know, we'd have to say, I'm sorry. I'm not going to take it. That would be a real test, wouldn't it? <laughs> I want to give you personally a million dollars. Forget the church. You just. Oh, oh, oh. Hopefully, I'll say oh, no, no. Wait, yes, no, 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 no. I don't want to. no, because the ends never justify the means, right? God cares about the whole process. He cares about everything. He says in verse nineteen, "You shall not change interest to your brother." interest on money or food or anything. And, and obviously, to your own brother, you're not going to do that because God wanted to prosper the Israelites. He said, but to a foreigner, you can do that. It's okay. And that's why the Jews were some of the best bankers in the world. They, were, they got wealthy because they were smart, and they, and they did things the right way, and they were the ones who lended out. That's why everybody makes jokes about you know, the Jews being good bankers, because they were. And they lent, but they got their money back, Right? But they weren't to do that to their own fellow countrymen. And then he goes on in verse 21. He says, when you make a vow to the Lord your God, you shall not delay to pay it. And we, we've heard about vows, and God doesn't require you to make a vow. You know, Jesus really forbid making a vow. He says, you know, but let your yes be yes and your no be no. For anything more than these comes from the evil one. Just make your yes, yes, and your no, no. You don't have to make a vow to anything. But isn't it true that when we are in a pickle, when we are under pressure of some kind, we tend to make oaths or we'll swear an oath to get out of something, you know, that we're really in some kind of a jam. Where, you know, Lord, I'll do anything. That's what it sounds like. Lord, you get me out of this. And how often have you said that? Lord, if you would just get me out of this mess I'm in, I'll do whatever you want. I'll give my heart to you. I'll do this and I'll do that. And um, we make some silly oaths to God, and he holds them to us. But he also says, don't make an oath. There's no need to make an oath. Nobody is putting a gun to your head to make an oath. Think about it. Don't make an oath. You remember in First Samuel, Hannah made an oath to the Lord. She said, Lord, if you give me a son, my son will, I'll give him to you, and he'll serve you all the days of his life. And, um, and she spoke to Eli, the, high, the, the priest at the time, there in Shiloh, and uh, he initially thought she was drunk. And then he says, Go in peace, and the God of Israel grant your petition, which you've asked of him. And it says in First Samuel for, uh, chapter 1, verse 20, It came to pass in the process of time that Hannah conceived, and she bore a son and called his name Samuel. And then it says in verse 21, Elkanah and all of his house went up to offer to the Lord the yearly sacrifice and his vow. Notice, and his vow. I mean, I don't know if there was another vow, but he says his vow, and we'll talk about that. Because Hannah did not go up, for she said to her husband, and not until the child is weaned. So she held back Samuel from going up. I mean, she loved him. It was a son of promise to her. And she wasn't really ready. He wasn't really weaned yet. But notice what Elkanah said to her. He says, do what seems best to you. Wait until you have weaned him. Only, Hannah, let the Lord establish his word. 
because that's what you vowed before the Lord, that you give this son to the, to the, to the priesthood. And, and that wasn't an easy thing, ladies. Can you imagine giving your son? You know, you make a vow like that. God didn't require a vow of her. He, he probably, she probably could have just poured out her heart and didn't make any vow, and God would still have given her a child. But when we're desperate, sometimes we'll say anything to get what we want. And then when we get what we want, then the bill comes, and we're like, oh, I said that. Well, in another language, it doesn't really mean that. But what does the law say? In Numbers chapter 30, it says this. If indeed she takes a husband while bound by her vows or by a rash utterance from her lips by which she bound herself and her husband hears it and makes no response to her on the day that he hears it, then her vows shall stand and it becomes their vow. So if a husband hears his wife make a vow and he doesn't stop her right there and says, that sounds good to me, it's their vow now. That's why you underline his vows because he went up, he was going to do this and take Samuel up, but now it's their vow together. But if he would have said on that day, Hannah, not a good idea, then the vow wouldn't stand. Then the vow wouldn't stand. And we're encouraged in James not to boast of today or tomorrow, you know, that we'll go in such and such a city, spend a year there, buy and sell and make a profit, whereas we don't know, we don't know what shall happen tomorrow. But we tend to make vows when we find ourselves in a difficult or sometimes even life-threatening situations. And he says, when you come into your neighbor's vineyard, you may eat your fill of grapes at your pleasure, but you, sh- you can't put any in a container. And this makes a lot of sense. And in fact, recently we were going out uh, somewhere west on, um, I don't know, it was, what's that road out by the lake, the highway? Yeah, it's a road, yeah, the parkway, whatever that, I forget, what my brain just mushed. So, yeah, Ontario Parkway. And we're driving along, and we get way out west, uh, you know, of the, of the city. And there were some people who had um, cornfields and, and stuff like that. And I noticed that in some of the fields, the borders of those cornfields were left unshucked. They weren't um, taken down like the rest. I mean, the, in, the innards of the field were taken, but the borders, the first couple rows inside, all the way around the perimeter of this thing was left. And I was thinking about this verse. Whoever that was was thinking about this. Maybe they were Jewish. I don't know. Because people like to stop by the road and pick an ear of corn or pick an ear of corn or two, and they left them up for gleanings. And that's what the Bible says. You know, in Leviticus it says, when you reap a harvest of your land, you shall not wholly reap the corners of your field. I saw this. It was kind of cool. Nor shall you gather the gleanings of your harvest. And you shall not glean your vineyard, nor shall you gather every grape of your vineyard. You shall leave them for the poor and the stranger. I am the Lord your God. And so God would allow this to happen so that the poor of the land, the widows, the, those who didn't have a lot of money, they could just come by and for their daily sustenance, they could just pick from the field. And we saw that very thing happening in Jesus' time. Remember on the Sabbath, Jesus was walking through the fields with his disciples, the grain fields, on the Sabbath. And his disciples were hungry, and they began to pluck heads of grain and to eat. And then the Pharisees saw it, and they had a conniption. They said to him, look, your disciples are doing what is not lawful to do on the Sabbath. And they, uh, obviously they, they thought they were harvesting and doing some kind of work, but even Jesus and his disciples you know, took part of this whole thing. You know, they would just get the gleanings from the outward sides, and and, and they were commanded to do that. And again, I just love how the Lord thinks everything through. He's thinking about every person and every stratum of society. You know, the people who are doing really well are doing really well. The people who are poor, he says, leave this, you know, perimeter, first couple roads, whatever the Lord, you know, gives you grace to do, leave that for the poor and the 
and, and the widow. And I love, I love God for that. I'll never forget when I was, um, and I'll, I'll stop with this. When I was really young, I'm going to give you a family secret here, but I think the statute of limitations is over. When I was a real young kid, the, the Kellogg family, for some reason, you know, they, we grew up in Northport, Michigan. In Northport, if you, um, if you look at a, a, a map of Michigan, it looks like this, right? Well, Northport is right up here, and it's right on Lake Michigan. And Northport and Traverse City both are what they call the sweet cherry capital of the world. They have a cherry festival every year, and it's beautiful. They bring in the, you know, it's a huge deal. And, but when the cherries, the sweet cherries, are ripe, I remember as a little kid with my parents and my uncle and a group of other Kellogg's, we were always very upstanding legal people. Following the law to the T, you know, we'd go into the fields at night, and we would, uh, we would glean, yes, we'd glean um, sweet cherries, um, and, you know, it might have been, I, I don't think it was gleaning because, you know, we actually took like a pail, you know. Um, it would be different if we went up and just grabbed a few and popped them in our mouth and got in the car and left. But we, we had a few more, you know. And so um, if this gets out, I might get busted. So you might, this might be the last time you see me. I can just see that. Would you bail me out? No, no, you wouldn't bail me out of jail. You're going you're gonna to pay the price. <laughs> No, and that's an example of what not to do. But but I, but it just brought back the memory of of doing that because that's not really gleaning; that's stealing, right? That's stealing, and that's not not a good thing. But um, anyway, there's more I could say, but I won't, lest I incriminate myself. Again, I just I love the Lord in this, and and just how He does. He looks at everything. And he looks at the people. He looks at the means by which the people worship and how they worship. He looks at, you know, the, uh, everyone involved. And he looks at wrong rituals and sexual perversion. And he puts his finger on it. He doesn't, he doesn't uh, condone anything. He just tells it like it is. And, you know, we live in a culture, folks, where, you know, this, just me reading this. Can you imagine reading that in a public school? I mean, think about last week when we talked about laws of sexual morality. To read that at Penfield High School, I mean, they'd probably be locked up. They'd kick me out. They'd probably just turn the mic off like this is happening already. See, uh, But, you know, um, but God is a God of love. He's a God of grace. And we need to hear these things. And so let it take great root in your heart. And, and, and more importantly than just listening to it, be obedient to it and share it with your kids, share it with your family members, these things. Because even though, you know, we don't um, cast out anybody from fellowshipping with us because we live in an age of grace, you know, the idea is still there. And we just need to be listening and, um, and be led by the Spirit each moment. Amen? So let's stand and let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your word again and just pray that, Lord, you bless us as we go out from here. And Lord, um, we love you. Thank you that you have thought of everything, Lord. And as we go through the book of Deuteronomy, Father, you, you, you reveal so much more to us, Lord. And we see where our laws come from. We see a lot of the moral codes and the ethics, Lord. And they all came right from your word, Lord. And we thank you for that, God. May we be, um, even though we live in an age of grace, may we be the people, Lord, that would 
just follow these things and, and, and to trust you in them, knowing that we are saved by grace and not by works, but, Lord, you've called us to be a holy people nonetheless. Lord, so help us to uphold these things, to be the good examples to all those around us, Lord. Thank you for your goodness. In Jesus' name we pray. Unfortunately, that's all the time we have for today. But please join us next time as Pastor Rob continues our study in the book of Deuteronomy. Calvary Chapel of Rochester is located at 2503 Browncroft Boulevard, Rochester, New York, 14625. You can reach us at our church office between 9 a.m. and 4 p.m. Monday through Friday at area code 585-586-3140. If you would like to have an audio CD of today's message mailed to you in its unedited form, simply mention today's date when contacting our church office. And that number again is 585-586-3140. You can also contact us via the web by logging on to www www.calvaryrochester.com. There you will be able to access a number of useful things such as information concerning our beliefs, ministry and contact information, our location and service times, and much more. You can even download the radio and sanctuary messages in MP3 format free of charge from the resources link. To listen to Calvary Chapel of Rochester Sanctuary Messages or Truth in Christ Radio on your mobile device, just subscribe to both through Google Play or Apple Podcast. We are so glad that you could join us today, and if there is any way that we could bless you in your walk with Jesus Christ, please don't hesitate to call our church office. Remember, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And for this cause, I have come into the world that I should bear witness unto the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. May God bless you in abundance today as you walk with him. And until next time, this has been Truth in Christ.